This is Saving Brothers with Philip Robertson on the Saving Brothers podcast. Well, hello everyone, and it's podcast time. And always, as I've said many a time, I have wonderful guests from across the globe. And we seem to be up in the USA a fair bit recently, don't we, friends? But I wanted to uh, welcome my guest today to the Saving Brothers podcast, Caroline Hulk. How are you, Caroline? Welcome I'm, to Saving Brothers. I'm great, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I am doing well. Do I, do I tell you on a number scale? Oh, okay. yeah, you talked about that. So how's your day going out of 10? My day's a 10. Wow. Excellent today. Yes. Okay. And it's, I, and I, just, I love that. And what made it a 10 for you? Well, let's see. I had a little time to myself this morning. I had um, got some work done, had a couple client sessions, had lunch with my dad, who's been out of town for a little while. It's all Nothing to complain about. All's good. Absolutely. Sun's shining. Happy to be here. And what I love about that is you're showing gratitude. And as I started to tell to you off air about the Keep Five Alive program, number four on our program is actually showing gratitude, being thankful for what we do have in our lives. Because I think a lot of us, it's very easy to think about what the grass is greener on the other side. You know, we, we think so much about what we do, what's wrong, what's um, not. Yeah, so well yeah. done for that. But it's a great question to ask brothers, actually, is a very brief segue. Hey, brother, how's your day going out of, out of 10? It opens up the pathway to hopefully an honest discussion. And that's what I'm really looking forward to with you. So I always ask people first off, Caroline, tell us about you, but also tell us where you're from. Yeah, perfect. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, so I'm right in the middle of the U.S. So Okay. Everybody knows where Dallas and Chicago are. We're right in the middle of that. <laughs> so. Okay, fantastic. Yep. And yep. tell us about your backstory. How did you land in this space talking about helping people deal with issues around alcohol? Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so I'll, I'll give you my backstory. I am married, two kids, um, live. I have a great life, and it looks great on paper. I... Oh, and at the time, actually a couple of years ago, I was working for a global 100, so a Fortune 100 company. I was in their global group. I was flying all over the world. I had the opportunity to go on these amazing trips. Everybody would look at me and say, oh my gosh, it's so exotic. And it was. I loved that. But, you know, it's with business travel, it, it always sounds a little more glamorous than it is. Um, so my life looked great on paper. Absolutely. And yet I felt like something was up. And the first, and I call it a nudge, like I had this nudge that I had been drinking, that it was, it had to do with my drinking. So again, everybody else around me said, you're crazy. There's nothing wrong with your drinking. But I knew I had gone through and I'd done the test online on, are you an alcoholic? And I wasn't an alcoholic. I knew that, but I just went ahead and took the test. And so I think that there is this gray space of people that don't identify as an alcoholic. And yet, and so technically they don't have a problem, but they also know that it's a problem for them. And it's a 
just a slight difference, but it is a difference. So how it was showing up for me was I would, you know, I, I guess like in general, from a macro perspective, I felt like I was driving with the emergency brake on. It was working, but I knew it could be better. And, you know, so then I would go through my day and definitely have a glass of, of wine or a couple, three <laughs> at night when I got home and then wake up the next morning and feel a little groggy, make bad food choices, kind of limp through the day so that by five o'clock the next day, I would need that glass of wine to feel better because I'd felt bad from the wine the night before. <laughs> I'm getting you. Right? Right? A lot of people can relate to this. Um, mm -hmm. So I knew that I didn't want to quit drinking. I, that's when I first started on this kind of adventure. I knew that I didn't want to quit drinking. I grew up in a house where um, my parents were young. They had friends and, you know, every there was always alcohol involved for sure. And I think that a lot of people can relate to that as well. So very early on, I equated fun, alcohol equals fun. Like, how do we have fun without alcohol? So when I first started on this journey for myself, I knew that I did not want to quit drinking. I just knew that I didn't want to drink as much. I wanted to not want it. That was, that was a, and that's a key phrase for me because that was a key objective. Like I wanted to be able to go out and have drinks with friends. And when I have my two, be done with it. But that's actually something you have to practice. And I learned about how the brain works and how neural pathways are formed and how we can actually use that learning, you know, the same brain that got you there into over-desiring alcohol is the same brain that can get you out. And learning how to do that was really, you know, I worked with a coach that helped me. I saw the transformation in my life. And so I started off with drinking. Then I started looking at my business itself or, or my, my, my career um, my relationships have changed. All of it has changed because of coaching. And I decided that I wanted to go ahead and do this for myself. So very similar to what you were talking about before we started recording is that, you know, I worked for a great company, um, but seeing any sort of transformation, I mean, it is like moving this big tanker around. Like you can see a little bit of your, you can see what your efforts have created, but you know, you're amongst, you know, many, many other people that are doing that. And it's very slow versus now when I have the honor to work with somebody one-on-one, -on -one, you know, I'm witness to their transformation. They're right in front of me. And it is just, I'm so honored to be part of that. And I would have thought, Caroline, just the, how you feel about you being actually part of seeing them take the steps because they've got to want it. They've got to take the action. Yeah. and make the commitment yeah. for positive change, that that would make you, I would have thought, feel really good about you. I, I think it's amazing. I think it's crazy amazing that I get to do this for, as a job, honestly. Yeah. Like, and, and that is what gets me up in the morning. I think that it's, yeah, it's amazing. And I think the important thing here, and I, when I look through your, your bio and your website, is this is not necessarily about going cold turkey or, or about that's yeah. it. I'm done with alcohol for good. This is about making some changes 
that if you want to continue to enjoy a drink, but you use a, a very important term rather than need a drink. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Distinction. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that is a big distinction. And, and quite honestly, um, you know, it's up to the client what what they want that to look like, whether that be complete abstinence or whether that's, you know, have a couple glasses when they go out on the weekends or whatever number that is, you know, that's really, that's completely up to them. I, um, I do say that I don't work with alcoholics. I don't work with anybody that identifies as an alcoholic. And, um, it's interesting in that realm because that is self-diagnosed. However, it becomes pretty apparent, you know, we'll have a couple conversations and, you know, I'll get a sense for, can I help you or, is AA or rehab or something like that a more appropriate? Is that a better offering for you? Yeah, that's really good. And I think that's an important professional distinction that you're saying, hey, I'm my expertise is in this particular lane, mm-hmm. but maybe if you've got a, maybe it's a chemical problem or some other issues that are more deep set, you need to potentially go to AA. And, and I think that's a really important distinction in the work, the incredible coaching that you're offering. How did you, I want to sort of go back, if I may, and ask you then, okay, so the first thing I think is acknowledging for all of us in any part of our lives that there's something that's not quite right for us. And I think that's the first thing, isn't it, that you acknowledge that, hey, maybe, and particularly when you were travelling a lot, I, I can appreciate that it's very easy that you've been out at meetings or you've been speaking and you come back to your room or you go to the hotel, you go back downstairs, uh, can I have, I'll have this with the salad or the steak, oh, and a glass of the Pinot Noir or the Sauvignon Blanc. Very, very easy to do. And I've had a big day, or maybe I'll have a second, and before you know it, you've had three, maybe even four. How did you go about, obviously, number one, acknowledging it, but number two was how did you go about cutting back, not stopping, but how did you go about cutting back on drinking for yourself? Yeah, I think that. Um, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you a little story first because you brought that up about traveling. Um, I one of the first things that I did was I didn't drink on my international flights, and everybody thought that that was crazy because I mean, how do you turn down the wine on the trip? And that's part of the trip, you know. Duh, duh. But to me, I hate jet lag more than I liked wine. So uh, that was that wasn't that bad, but you know, it helped me kind of get my sea legs of, you know what, I can do this. I can totally, I I can do, I can, there are parts of my life where I don't need to have wine. I don't, you know, just because it's there, I don't have to have it, all that kind of stuff. And I think that that's important. It's, you know, developing that a new neural pathway. And I will also say that there was a little rebel in me that said, you know, particularly when people are egging me on, like, well, how can you do that? Like turn down all the free wine. I'm like, well, hey, I'm, I can do that. You know, it's like the, the same, I, I joke now because when I was a kid, I used to, I think probably most of us, anybody that drank, whatever, would sneak beer or something, alcohol into a party. Well, nowadays I sneak my non-alcoholic beer in. <laughs> so it's like, I'm still doing it, I guess. But, and, and from, so how I started. So that was one thing that I started to do. The other thing that I really work with my clients with, by the time they come to me, their self-trust is really in the toilet. They've tried a bunch of things on their own. 
everybody tries the rules and like, I'm only going to have two or I'm only going to drink on the weekends or this, that, and the other thing. But the the problem, the reason that those things don't work is because it's reliant upon willpower alone. Willpower is a finite resource. It runs out. <laughs> and so it'll work for a little bit, but that's not going to get you there. And so that's where, you know, really understanding how the brain works, understanding the difference between the prefrontal cortex and the primitive brain, and how we can utilize that to help us achieve our goals. So one of the first things that I do with my clients is we establish a drink plan. And what that means is 24 hours in advance, you decide what you're going to drink and why you're going to drink it, how you're going to feel before, how you're going to feel afterwards, all that kind of stuff. You can put 18 drinks on there, right? It, it, the number does not matter. What's important is that you do it 24 hours in advance because that ensures that you're utilizing your prefrontal cortex. And then the reason that you're doing it is not because of the numbers of number of drinks on the plan. It's because you want to become a person who keeps her word, his or her word to themselves. Right. Yep. Very important. Sorry. Very important to keep your word Mm -hmm. to yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's not about reporting back to me. It's not reporting back to your partner, anything like that. It's like, and because they've come from a, a place where their self-trust is is so diminished, it's really important to reestablish that first. And then we work on urges and, you know, urges come up, urges for sure come up and, you know, pretending like they don't come up is just naive. I like to look at it as just like when you go to the gym and maybe you haven't worked out in a while and you start doing arm curls and you get a little lactic acid buildup in your arms right? That's an opportunity to get stronger. Urges are an opportunity to get stronger because every time you do not answer that urge, then you're creating a new neural pathway. And that's really important because every single time counts, you can either reinforce that neural pathway of, oh yeah, it's five o'clock, I'm going to have a glass of wine, or I'm going to start creating a new one. Every time matters. So that's much, that's really important because in the moment that primitive brain is going to give you all sorts of wonderful negotiating thoughts that, you know, seem really logical at the time, right? And knowing that each time counts really helps. And I've got a bunch of tools and um, techniques that help in the moment, but urges are, are, can be your friend. So we want to accumulate urges. And then from there, really, at that point, you've diminished the desire enough that um, through not only you've you've established self-trust again, you've diminished the desire by creating new neural pathways. And then we can kind of move into what I call the mastery stage, which is when we kind of look at your life. And because a lot of people will say, well, now I know I always drink it so much. Like I've got a lot of stress for my job or my kids or whatever it is. And we work through that stuff because when we can address it at that level and just make that quote unquote need go away, then it's, you know, it's, it's like addressing the wound when the wound needs stitches versus just putting on a store brand bandaid on top. That's not going to do anything. <laughs> Let's go ahead and deal with the, the root cause. Absolutely. And I think that's what I love exactly what you just said, the root cause. Mm-hmm. Band-aid solutions, 
they're not really a solution, are they? They, they just don't work. What do you think then for somebody, let's say whether they're sceptical, oh, you know, they're sitting on the fence, oh, and, and, yes, they've tried, the, the, tried to do it on their own. Mm-hmm. What do you think the advantage is of working with a coach? Well, it's just like anything else. I mean, you can teach yourself how to play the guitar by yourself. No, no problem. But are you the type of person that's going to teach yourself how to play the guitar by yourself? Or is it easier to go ahead and get a coach, get a teacher? Because you'll get further faster with a coach. That's one aspect, certainly in this space, because plenty of people have, have been able to figure it out without a coach. So I think that you know, a lot of times my main message when I come on and I talk with people like you is, A, there are people, there are, there are, there are coaches like myself that actually work with people like people that are listening in your audience that don't want to quit drinking entirely. They just want to get rid of all the bad parts. So I think that my, my objective is to increase awareness that there are offerings for them. And because it's not binary, it's not like you're either a normal drinker or you're not, you know, there's, there's a ton of space in between there. And, and then I forgot your other part. Mm. No, that was it really was about what was the advantage of working with a coach. I would have thought as well, Caroline, it's going to be about accountability. Yeah. Yeah. The accountability. And I think that that's self accountability for sure. Um, the other point too is, okay, so you get further faster by working with a coach. And the reality is I'm not in your brain. And so the things that you think that are true, I can point out to you because I don't believe that they're true, right? Like that drinking equals fun. But when you have a, a, an underlying belief that drinking is fun, then we need to address that. We need to figure out how that is true or not true. Because yeah, reframing that what that means to you. Right, right, right. Exactly. Now, if you want to think that, yeah, sure, drinking is fun because we've all got pictures like in the bar where we're all like holding up our shots and all that kind of stuff. We don't typically have pictures the next morning when we spent the whole day in bed or (laughs) all that stuff. If we pull up and look at the whole picture, maybe it's a little different. Yeah, that's it. The head in the bucket doesn't look good. No, or waking up at three o'clock in the morning. Like with all all of the anxiety or whatever it is, just three o'clock in the morning for some reason is a big time. I don't know why. <laughs> Absolutely. But, and one of the things you and I spoke about off air was I said that a real cornerstone pillar at Saving Brothers is sleep. And we yeah. know that when you've been drinking, yeah. your sleep patterns are significantly interrupted. Yes. That's the time when you mean your mind is meant to be working to remove the toxins from within the brain mm-hmm. and it's not getting that opportunity because you wake up between one and three and then you've got to go to the toilet and you feel dry in the throat and you feel like crap and it's like, ugh, you didn't get the sleep your body needs. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that one up because there are a lot of people that believe that they need to have a couple drinks in order to help them sleep. And so what's so interesting is when they have that belief, so they'll they'll go maybe a couple days without drinking, but they, but they still believe that that helps them sleep. So of course, they're going to rubber band back to it. Of course, because 
the primitive brain is squeaking in the back, like, well, you need to sleep, obviously, because sleep is so important. And they believe that those are tied together. And so then we look at that critically and, you know, beyond just the science, like looking at the experience they typically have, like, let's talk about how many times you wake up in the middle of the night. Let's look at what your Fitbit is telling you about your sleep quality and start to accumulate that data. And that really, then that will dispel that belief that drinking helps me sleep. That's, that's exactly what the kind of work that we find. We work on. Yeah. And that's so important because then of course the poor sleep can translate Mm -hmm. into you more stress, anxiety, but also poor performance in, let's say in your work the next day. Yep. I don't believe yeah, that the data would support that you're not going to be as productive. Your ability to concentrate will be diminished. So particularly yep. if you're in a sales environment or a performance environment with key performance indicators, Carolyn, you're not going to hit the targets as well if right. you're not yeah, interrupted by, by poor sleep. And, and it's interesting, isn't it, I find that people would say, oh, I, get a, I just need a drink, I need to unwind, a drink is yep. what I need. Yeah. To be able to relax. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's all sorts of science that shows that, yeah, in the first 20 minutes, it does help relax you because it's impacting the central nervous system. But then after 20 minutes, then the brain wants to go back into homeostasis. And so it's actually um, injecting cortisol into your brain, which is a stress hormone. So we say that it helps us relax, but it's literally making us more stressed. Well, of course, and then the other thing is, particularly with wine, mm-hmm. you get the munchies or you want to, you, you get the craving. So if you, your goal is to maybe you wanted to lose a little bit of weight or you want to stay fitter, mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. the grog is not helping because you're going to potentially make bad food choices. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I know all those things because I have (laughs) plenty of experience in the journey. And it reminds me, we were chatting again off air, about some of the data, particularly in light of the pandemic, that with people having to work from home or isolate, alcohol consumption has gone through the roof. Have you got anything to support that? Because I would imagine your business would have got a lot more clients potentially as a result of people going, whoa, I didn't realize how much I was drinking. Right. Yeah. What's been going on in the world? Absolutely. I know that I, I I have statistics basically from the U.S., but women are drinking are reporting that they had seventy sorry forty one percent more heavy drinking days than before the pandemic. So that's, that's a massive. Right. That it's is a huge. massive number. Yeah. And then the Journal of American Medical Association just came out with a report in the last week or so where they said that more people died from alcohol-related causes than from COVID under age 65. That is a really important. Do you want to just, can you repeat that? Because that is such a significant statistic. Yeah. So more people died from alcohol-related causes than from COVID in the age group of under 65. Wow. And this is from Journal of American Medical Association. So they're not going to publish that that lightly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so think about that. Think about the extent to which the whole world went to protect ourselves from COVID. And yet 
they also, I don't know how, what they did in Australia, but in the U.S. anyway, they opened up the restaurants. The restaurants were allowed to, um, you know, send, you could buy liquor and send it home, whatever. They made sure that they closed down churches, but they left liquor stores open. They, you know, there are all sorts of things that happened that, you know, and, and then we layer on the stress of the pandemic, which if you look at any sort of event in in history, People do for sure. There's a very strong association between stress. Alcohol is a stress reliever. And so if you look at after 9-11 or after Katrina, after any of these events, you see a big spike in in, in consumption. And, you know, we've had this for two years. So, yep. of course, it, I mean, it makes sense. It's very, it's very, it's staggering to see the numbers though. We, I think Australia and our lifestyle is very similar to the, mm-hmm. what you uh, like in the US. We're, we're, we're a Western country right. and no doubt we have Uber and Uber Eats and people being stuck at home would just jump on their phone and order the takeaway and, oh, they go past the, uh, the alcohol store or the, the to go in and get their their wine or their beer. So mm-hmm. I think those things, yeah, they were some of the uh, companies that did very, very well. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be happy to be a shareholder. Mm-hmm. I would have. So let me ask you this question. So somebody's now realised, hey, I think I've got more than an issue here and it's not serving me in the most constructive, positive way. Where do you start with a client of yours? They come to you day one. What does that look like? So in day one, we talk about what are your goals? Like what do you want your relationship with alcohol to look like? And... um and so we identify what that looks like and then figure out, you know, how, the roadmap basically to get there. And what that roadmap looks like a lot of times, it, you know, a lot of times what I'll tell my clients is, okay, now let your primitive brain go freak out and tell me why this is such a terrible idea. And it really just reveals all the obstacles that we need to work through. Those are all the beliefs that the client has that they can't, that we need to work through in order to get to that goal. And so we start working on those for sure. We start with that, you know, the drink plan, which I just explained a minute ago. Yeah. Um, And our sessions are, I work one-on-one because it's so nice because it's determined by the client, you know, how quickly they get the material or don't, or, you know, how it's working for them, or maybe they've got other things going on in their life and they want to talk about that, which is totally fine too. And typically, is there a set time that you work with a client? Do they make that choice? Or have you got different offerings that maybe you work with once a week for a month or for six months? Is there a, is there a pattern? I do. um, I do a 12 week program. Um, most people, I mean, most people have their drinking under like where they want it by the end of that 12 weeks. A lot of people continue on because we go into other areas of their life because, you know, I was talking before about they understand why they were drinking like, Oh yeah, I didn't like this about my life. And then we, we start working on things like that. So, and that's where we talk about relationships and just general stress, honestly. And, and the tools that I use really are about mind management because I don't know about you, but I was taught, 
I went to, I had a great education and I was taught what to think. And I was taught how to, I was taught critical thinking with regards to other people's work, but I was never taught that I could use those same tools with my own thinking. And it gets pretty dangerous when you believe everything you think. Absolutely. And we really do need to take control of the computer, which is the brain. Mm -hmm. If you leave it on autopilot and give it free will or free reign, goodness, it could take you down some incredibly destructive rabbit holes, as as you and I both know. Hence why we're working in the the roles that we are. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really something you've got to stop. You own the thoughts. You've got to. and And I talk about this often on the podcast about Brian Tracy who's an American and I've seen him live speak in Australia about sales and sales psychology. But he would talk about that we are the director of our own movie. It's our life. It's our mm-hmm. movie. We live in that mm-hmm. movie. And if you're not happy with the script, rewrite the script. Yeah. Which is really what we're talking for here, Caroline. So it's, it's fundamentally a metaphor for taking yeah. control. And, and you really do have to work at controlling your thoughts and stopping thoughts. I love what you're doing there because it's not just about the coaching around the alcohol, but it's going into other things that ultimately would stop you if you get your relationships, your your work, your interpersonal relationships and your anxiety, your stress under control. The positives on that is then it's less likely that you will revert back to falling off the wagon and right. start to increase the drinking again. Right. And that's really smart, the deceptive of you and your coaching. And I think that's a really, really great thing that you're doing beyond the 12 weeks. So yeah, I like you. that. Well done. Yeah, I, I will say actually um, the percentage of time, if I took a percentage of time on from all of my calls, you know, talking about drinking is just a small portion of it. For the most part, we're talking about the life, you know, the person's life, what's going on for them. How is this increasing their stress? How is this, you know, all of that stuff? Because, you know, we can't look at just this one piece in isolation at all. This is a symptom. And so that's the key, isn't it? It's not the cause. The drinking is not the cause. It's something else that's triggering the need to think, well, that's my solution. I'll go to the cupboard or I'll order that extra drink. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. and I I actually, I I do have some clients that are trying to lose weight. So in this regard, the over-drinking and the overeating are very similar because it's in avoidance of an emotion. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that's right. The, the, The drug, whether it be alcohol or food, is not the issue, it's the go-to as a result of something further upstream that's yeah. triggering that event or that behaviour. Yeah. So we need yeah. to interrupt those neural pathways, mm-hmm. as you say, and replace it with more positive behaviours. You talk about desire. Mm-hmm. What do you mean is desire? And, you're, and you talked about is desire learned. Can you unpack that for us? Yeah, sure. I mean, desire is basically, yeah, it's definitely learned. We have... And, and the desire for alcohol is, it, that is a guaranteed dopamine hit. So we learn, the brain learns that pretty quickly. I know for sure I'm going to get this dopamine hit if I have this glass of Chardonnay or whatever it is. It's just like our ancestors knew that they would get the dopamine when they found the ripe berries on the bush, right? And they remembered where to get the ripe berries. They remembered where that bush was so they could go back to that. 
That's the same thing that we do now. We know that we can get this dopamine hit from the Chardonnay or the wine or vodka or whatever it is. It's just no foraging required anymore. <laughs> just for your credit card only. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. Um, but that's a learned, that's learned. Learned behaviors. Absolutely. It's totally Martin learned. talked about learned behaviors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what do you think is some of the other steps then to, let's call it getting rid of the, as you term it, the shitty parts of drinking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Other steps? Well, those are the, like, if I if I talk about my program, my tr- program has kind of three three big chunks. It's the first step is to reestablish self-trust and then we go into demolishing the desire and that's where we're accumulating these urges and then we go into mastery and that's where we're looking at relationships um you know general stress in general anything else that's going on it's that is where we're kind of opening up to creating the life that you really want that you don't ever want to numb out of that is so inspiring absolutely yeah, living your ideal life, and it's one of the mm-hmm. things at Saving Brothers, Caroline, that we promote is becoming your best self, the best yeah. version of you, which is ultimately living your truth. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. Do you think, and I, I this is a loaded question, but do you, still, you, do you still think you can have fun when you drink less? Oh, God, I, I have way more fun. Absolutely. Because I'm not thinking about, um, I'm not thinking about, when the waiter is going to come with the drinks, I'm not thinking about the tab. I'm not thinking about anything like that. And I'm really focused in on the people that I'm with. Yeah. You're present. Right. I'm totally present with them. I laugh more. I'm, you know, I think before I was probably a little self-conscious and, you know, I don't know. I, I laugh more. I'm sillier. I am. I just, I think I, I, well, I know I have more fun. And I also, okay, here's a little secret for you. I do think that it's a little bit of a superpower because, or a little bit of an advantage because like when I go out, when I would go out to work events or whatever, and I would have a a glass of wine and other people would have a couple, maybe more, I don't know how many, but um, they don't get smarter. They think they do and they don't. And like, (laughs) like, they yeah. say more stupid things, really. They do, yes, yes. <laughs> and, Absolutely. And, and look, I think one of the great benefits is you can get in the car and drive home. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so and my kids, like that. Yeah, my kids are, I've got a 16-year-old and a 20-year-old, and they know that if something comes up, I can definitely come pick them up wherever they are. Yeah, yeah mum's taxi's available. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Use it sparingly, but it is available. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, I've got two boys who are 21 and 19, and in Australia they drive, they've got their own cars, and yeah. they're independent yeah. young men. What do you do with what you call the found time? Oh, yeah. Okay, so I that was one thing that I was really surprised about. I was shocked, honestly, when I – when I started cutting back, when I started drinking less, then, you know, you really do have all this time available to you, not only in the evenings, but the next morning, you know, I wake up, I'm like, I'm ready to go. 
except for it's if it's like <laughs> cold and dark and all that stuff. Okay, I might be a little slower, but it's only because it's cold and dark. It's not because of the <laughs> I'm I'm slow. Not cold and dark in here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I actually I I'm good friends with somebody who she added up the time that she spent either drinking or recovering from drinking, and she said it was forty hours a week. Wow. That's significant. 40 hours a week. You imagine what you could do in terms of your productivity, yeah. whether it's investing in yourself, but in the things that are important to you outside of you. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, Jeez. that is staggering. So that is, that's an extreme case, but you know, I would challenge your, uh, the listeners, the watchers right now is to think about how much time you're spending because sometimes, you know, when you start drinking, I don't know, for me, when I would start drinking at five o'clock, then, you know, the, the night's pretty much shot. I'm not doing anything productive. We're going to have dinner. We're going to like hang out and stuff like that, but I'm not going to do much of anything. Um, some people are different and they, they get energized and they do whatever. But, but for me, that was not the case. Um, but your question was, what do I do with the fountain time? I have kind of rediscovered some habits or some hobbies that I hadn't done in a long time. And, and so I'm really kind of tapping into this creative aspect or creative, um, yeah, I guess aspect, I don't know, love that I've, that I've always had. I'm not a, I'm not a real creative, I'll say that, but I do enjoy it. So. Yeah, I think it's an opportunity to get to know you better and do oh, some yeah. of the things that, hey, oh, I wish I had more time, which is often what we use as our great excuse. We've all got the same amount of time. It's just how we choose our time. Yeah. What, I, what I'd like to finish up with is, is what would you say to men around the world and these partners that are supporting them, what would be a parting message at Saving Brothers that you'd like to, to share with people who are, yeah, maybe I've, I've got a question mark over this. How do they find you? What's the best way for them to get in contact with you at the moment, Caroline? Yeah, I would say for sure. I mean, similar to what I said um, a little bit earlier, that that my goal is really just to increase awareness that there are offerings for you outside of the abstinence-only model of AA or rehab or whatever it is. So if you've got that little nudge that, maybe things could be better, listen to it. Because, you know, you're not getting a nudge to go skydiving or whatever it is. There's a reason that that's there. And it doesn't hurt anything at all to schedule a call with me. I'm happy to talk with you about whether this would be a good, good fit for you or not. Um, I do have, if you just want to try out, I do have a, a craving hack meditation that I will... I'll give you the information. I assume we can leave it in the show notes or something. Yeah, we're going to put it in the show notes. So okay, perfect. Email perfect. that to me, and what I'll do is I'll yep. pop that so anybody can then grab that link. Yes. And uh, for them to, if they want to book a coaching call at this stage with you, Caroline, what's the best way for them to get in contact? Yeah, that's on my website, and it's carolineholkeycoaching.com. Again, we'll leave it in the show notes. But um, but yeah, I'm. There's a free coaching session for 45 minutes. So I'm happy to talk to, this is what I do. I chose to do this. I'm happy to talk to as many people as I can. And if we can just, if you just need a little tune up, I, I met with somebody yesterday and it was just one session. She was great. So awesome. it's amazing what you can do in 45 minutes. Totally. 
It's a lot can happen in 45 minutes in this world. So, Caroline, absolute pleasure and thank you for investing time with us here today at Saving Brothers. Great to learn more about what you can do to help others. And really, let's face it, it's a massive issue globally right now. There's a lot of stressors for all of us, men and women, and even for our teenagers. We want to be able to make better decisions. It's not about necessarily giving up the grog, but being more responsible and taking more self-responsibility. Number one, in fact, on the Keep Five Alive is is self-care. So thanks so much for investing time with us here at Saving Brothers and really looking forward to uh, having you back at some point in the near future. So thanks again. Have an awesome uh, afternoon. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Take care. Take care of yourself, Caroline. And viewers, if you know anyone else that uh, has got a couple of challenges, nudge them Caroline's way. All the best, Caroline, and thanks again for listening, everyone. Bye for now. This has been a Saving Brothers podcast. Thanks for listening.